What's up, guys? Welcome to this month's bonus episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. Jermaine here, and I'm so glad you're joining us. In a moment, you'll listen in on this month's Shoreline, where a high school student shares their testimony of God's work in their life. And then you'll hear a message which we believe will be helpful and applicable to your life as a teenager. We're so glad you're here. And without further delay, let's tune in. Hello, everyone. My name is Blake Brockmeyer. I've found a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from pride, jealousy, control, and sexual immorality. As I stand before you, I ask that you understand that my recovery came directly from my Savior, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Through my imperfections and greatest sin, God chased after me, and he still does today. No one is too far gone from his everlasting mercy and grace. I grew up in a Christian household with two loving parents and an awesome sister who pushed me to be a godly man daily. My parents were loving enough to send me to Trinity Christian Academy, pinkies up, go Trojans, from kindergarten to 12th grade. On top of that, we attended church every single Sunday that I can remember. All this to be said, I accepted Christ into my heart on the rainbow carpet in Miss Rogers' first grade class. All this, although this was a true blessing in my life, I could never understand the weight of Jesus' sacrificial love until I experienced the trials of everyday life. Throughout my middle school career, I always considered myself a kind and outgoing kid. But these thoughts consumed my mind. My identity was found in trying to make other kids laugh, being the best athlete, and achieving popularity. This prideful behavior began to affect how I viewed people and God. It distorted, it distorted how I viewed Christianity. I began to think that you are an excellent Christian if you act or look like a good kid. I liked the benefits that Christianity brought me, but I was too prideful to accept that I was a sinner. At this time, I began a... a I began attending a small group and was blessed with phenomenal leaders who poured into us every Wednesday night. Although God had given me so much community, I became hardened to the beauty of Christ's death and resurrection. I had heard the same stories repeatedly, and my life had not changed. I had become stagnant with my faith and rarely opened my Bible except for small groups or Bible classes. Then high school hit, and my sweet, innocent middle school self became aware of the sin swirling around me with no rock to hold my identity. I just went through the motions, oblivious to the hurt and sadness around me. I was comfortable where I was and did not want God touching touching or ruining my plans. Through this, I began to develop a need to control everything in my life, which placed me in front of God and gave me the false power to be my own God. Even then, I would say that I followed God daily, but this was just a facade. I had no desire to seek out my creator. This all became apparent in my first relationship in 10th grade. I was not spiritually prepared enough to lead myself well in a a relationship. I began crossing physical boundaries that were not honoring, but I thought my way was better than God's. I I was failing as a leader in the relationship, but my pride and controlling nature prevented me from noticing my sin. I had become emotionally dependent upon her affirmation, and it clouded my view of God. During this time, I was stagnantly reading through the Bible in the year, but nothing changed. I was deep in sin, and only God could save me now. During the summer of 11th grade, this girl and I parted ways, which left me hurt, confused, and angry. We have since forgiven each other, but at this time, there was nowhere I could turn. I was deep in sin. And my persona of being a good Christian kid was all a lie. So that summer night, I fell to my knees and begged God for forgiveness and a change of heart. I committed myself to genuinely following the plan of reading the Bible for a year and falling into the love with endless grace he gives. In addition, I dedicated myself to open 
being open and honest in small group discussions, and creating a community group with my friends who shared my ambitions. This gave me the freedom from the shame, guilt, and sin the enemy wanted me to feel. Galatians 5.5 says, for freedom, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit against the yoke of slavery. This verse reminds me that I never brought my own freedom from sin. It was purchased with the precious blood of my Savior. If you relate to any part of my story or in a place I once was, I encourage you by reminding you God will never forsake, abandon, or spit on you for the sins you have committed. Instead, he transformed my brokenness to tell a story of his love and redeeming power. I beg everyone in this room tonight to seek community because it changed my life. And it can also change yours. And also, always remember, as Ephesians 4.19 says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you. Thank you, man. You may take a seat. You may take a seat. Um, yes, I'm holding some spaghetti, uh, uncooked spaghetti in my hands. I'll get there. Uh, my name is Jermaine Harrison, if we have not met, and I'm so glad that you decided to join us tonight for Shoreline. We're continuing our series that we've been walking through this entire school year called The Fight for Your Mind, where we've been looking at the reality that we can take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. That Jesus wants to walk into, enter into your stress, your anxiety, your struggle, your pain, your loneliness, your suicidal thoughts, your depression, your discouragement, and he wants to give you peace. And so tonight, here's how we're gonna, we're gonna start. We're going to start with an illustration um, of dried, uncooked pasta. Every one of us knows, right, that it is so easy to break one singular uh, piece of dried pasta. You can just do it with your fingers. It's so easy. But did you know that if you put enough pieces of dried pasta together all at once, that it is, it is actually really impossible to break it? And how many of y'all believe that that's true? Let me see the upraised hands. We got some of you who believe, some of you are skeptical. So I'm going to try it right in front of you right now. I'm not faking it. I'm not putting on an Oscar-winning performance. But look, I'm literally trying. I'm trying to break it. And I'm not skinny, uh, but I did not break it. And I wanted to show you that illustration. And you can try it at home. Ask your mom if you can use some of her pasta because um, it's really cheap, uh, and, and try that exercise yourself. But the reason I start with that silly illustration is to prove the point that one piece of dried pasta on its own is so brittle, easily broken. But when you put enough pieces together, it is strong, it is steady, it is secure. And the way that that, that relates to you is this truth and reality, that there is strength and there is stability in community. There's strength and stability and security and safety in community, right? There's strength in community. And, and before we go any further, I wanna make sure we are on the same page about the kind of community that I'm describing. Because community is a buzzword in our culture today where everyone knows what it is, has it, but I want to define it as God's word invites us to consider what community is. You ready? So community, as biblically defined, is a group of people saved by grace through faith, 
walking the road of obedience to Christ together. So community is a group of people saved by grace through faith, walking the road of obedience to Christ together. So this definition that we get from God's word really eliminates a lot of the, 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 the concepts, the modern concepts of community. You see, a lot of people think that having things in common, having a common interest means that you have community. Like if you have a group of friends that love video games or a group of friends that love shopping or a group of friends that love a certain TV show, that might be a certain aspect of community that maybe bonds you together, but it's simply that. It is not community. Community is a group of people saved by grace through faith walking the road of obedience to Christ together. Here's a photo of uh, my community that I'd love to share with you up on screen. This was a few weeks ago watching the, um, the, the football, the NCAA football national championship. And we were just hanging at the house, eating some food and watching the game. Um, this picture represents two things at the same time. We have a lot of things in common. Like we enjoy sports, we enjoy good food, we enjoy each other's company, uh, we enjoy certain shows, but we also have a lot of things that are very different. We had different upbringings, different families, different interests, different uh, jobs, different uh, perspectives on, on video games or sports or whatever it might be. There are so many things about this group of people that is different, and then there are some things that are very similar. But the most important thing that is true about every one of us in that photo is this, is that we're a group of people saved by grace through faith, walking the road of obedience to Christ together. And every week, me and the guys in that photo sit down together and we share our lives. And then once a month we get together with all, and the wives do the same thing separately. And then once a month we all get together and share what's going on with our, our marriages, our lives, our kids, and all of the different struggles and challenges and joys of life. But community might look different for you. Uh, maybe it's a community within your small group where you have other followers of Jesus who are walking the road of obedience to Jesus together with you. Maybe it might be some friends at school or in your neighborhood, or maybe it's a, a kind of a complex combination of community between maybe your small group leaders, your parents, uh, some older um, siblings or family members. But we can all agree on one thing, is that life is better enjoying and experiencing community than not enjoying and experiencing community. Because there's strength, there's stability, their safety, their security in community. And so then it should follow, as we've been talking about this idea of uh, fighting for your mind, that the fight for your mind is best fought in community. The fight for your mind is best fought in community. And so if that is true, the obvious question for each of us to consider is this. Do I have friends? Do I have a community? that truly brings strength and stability in my life when I'm anxious, when I'm discouraged, when I'm uh, despairing, when I'm struggling, when life is really, really hard. Do I have friends that bring strength and stability in the fight for my mind? See, some of you might think you have community, but like we just described, what you really have is maybe a cure for some of your loneliness. 
Some of you might think, might wish you had community, but as you look around maybe at your school or the places you find yourself, you feel like or believe that you're the only one who is truly um, seeking to follow Jesus. I believe that's probably true of some of you in this room. Some of you are disappointed in your community. Maybe you have a lot of followers of Jesus around you, or at least they claim to be followers of Jesus, and you're not experiencing what you, what you would like to experience, that sense of closeness and unity and encouragement and challenging. Maybe some of you are isolating from community. Because you know that if you truly lived in community, you know that if you truly were trying to walk the road of obedience to Christ together with other believers, that you would have to stop doing some things that you'd rather not stop doing. And so you'd rather um, isolate yourself so that you can continue to chase your pleasures, chase your desires, and live your life your own way. That might be true of some of you in the room. And my hope tonight is that some of you will move from shallow community to true, deep, and meaningful community. My hope is that some of you will move from isolation to a true experience of community. And that some of you will move from disappointment in community to encouragement to create the kind of community you desire. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And what we're going to see there, what we're going to explore for the rest of our time, is the kind of community you should be seeking, the kind of community that you should be in the fight for your mind. The kind of community you need in the fight for your mind. And so just to summarize where we're going before we read Mark chapter 2, here's where we're going to go. The fight for your mind is one in faith displaying Obstacle overcoming, individual supporting community. We'll see those truths play out in the story we're going to read in Mark chapter 2. But the fight for your mind is one in faith displaying, obstacle overcoming, individual supporting community. Mark chapter 2 picks up in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry. He is... uh, going from city to city, town to town, sharing the gospel, telling people that the Messiah that was promised by the prophets of old, that he was him in the flesh, that he was God who had become man to be the savior of the world. And that if they place their faith and trust in him, they would be uh, reconciled to God. And he was performing miracles to authenticate that he truly was the son of God. And so in the middle of this context, we hear and read this story in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
And so the first characteristic that we notice about these four friends carrying their paralyzed friend on a bed to Jesus in hopes of Jesus healing their friend is that this group of friends is a faith-displaying community. So the kind of community you need in the fight for your mind today in 2024 is a community that displays their faith. So how did they display their faith? It's obvious from this story that these friends of the paralyzed man were people with faith. They probably had heard of the miracles that Jesus had performed. Maybe they had even seen some of his miracles performed. They probably heard him speak because his fame was being um, spread all across the, the land of Israel. And so they heard about this man. They maybe saw his miracles and they thought to themselves, maybe, just maybe, he can heal our friend who has been paralyzed. And so in some way, these friends were acting without guarantees. That's what faith really is. Faith is acting without guarantees. They had no way of knowing if Jesus would actually heal their friend. But because they had heard what he has done, because they had seen maybe some of his miracles, they thought to themselves, maybe, just maybe, he will care for our friend and heal him of his disability. Faith is acting without guarantees. And you and I do this all the time. We act without guarantees almost every, mo- every day. When you walked into the room, how many of you guys checked to make sure the screws on the chairs that you're sitting on were all the way tightened? None of you did that. Maybe you've been uh, recommended to go see a movie or go to a restaurant that you've never seen or gone to before and you go in faith. You, you go um, trusting the word of someone else. You go without a guarantee. You don't really know if you're going to like the movie. You don't really know if you're going to enjoy that restaurant, but you go based on someone else's recommendation. We act in faith all the time. But this man, his friends, acted in faith in the most important of ways. His friends recognized the power and authority of Jesus to heal. These friends realized and recognized that they did not have the power to heal their friend. You know what they did not do? They didn't say, all right, let's figure this out. Let's see how we can help our friend who is paralyzed. Let's try to fix him. Let's try to solve this problem on our own. No, instead they recognized that Jesus had the power with just a word to heal their friends. And so they were a faith-displaying community, the kind of community you and I need in the fight for our minds. So here's my question for you. How would you describe your friends? Do they recognize the power of Jesus to rescue, to save, to heal, to bring peace? Do they realize their own insufficiency, that they're not smart enough, wise enough, powerful enough, helpful enough, apart from Christ? Are your friends a faith displaying community. Proverbs 13, 20, a familiar verse probably to some of you says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, those who surround themselves with people who recognize the power of Jesus to bring healing in the fight for our minds, they're wise. 
and they will uh, be a benefit and blessing to your life. But those who reject Jesus, those who do not recognize his power and authority and ability to bring healing in your life, they're fools. And they will lead you to become foolish as well. And so what should mark you if in the fight for your mind is that you would be a faith-displaying uh, person in community and that you would experience that as well. Number two, the second characteristic uh, that we need if we're going to have community that really brings stability and strength in the fight for our mind is community um, that is obstacle overcoming community. Obstacle overcoming community. Let me read again Mark chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And so you get the story, right? These four friends are carrying their paralyzed friend on a a mattress almost like this, probably not as comfortable as this one. They're carrying their friend to Jesus because they believe that in faith, Jesus could heal him of his disability. And they, they went through all sorts of obstacles. Remember, when they got to the house, there was no way to get to Jesus. The house was full, out even in front of the door, there was no way to get in. And so these four friends climbed up the stairs on the outside of the house, ripped open the roof, and somehow, I have no idea, lowered their friend on this mattress in the middle of Jesus' sermon because they were a faith-displaying community that believed that Jesus could potentially heal their friend. And so they were an obstacle overcoming community as well. And here are some of the obstacles that they had to overcome that maybe you in your search for community today may need to overcome as well. The first one is the social obstacle. You see people back in Jesus's day who were um, sick, diseased, or disabled were considered to have some sort of sin in their lives. Like the reason you were sick, the reason he was paralyzed was because his parents had sinned or he had committed some grave sin and that God was punishing him somehow with this disability. That was a common belief of the day. And so when people saw these four friends with their paralyzed friend, one thing that they could have thought is, what are they doing hanging out with him? Don't they know that he's sinful? Don't they know that that's the reason he's paralyzed? And so these four friends had to get over that social obstacle. They had to overcome it to be able to help their friend to to meet Jesus and potentially be healed. So there was that social obstacle and then there's the, the logistical obstacle. Like, think about this for a second. Have you ever tried, like, carrying a mattress like this with, you know, a 150-pound human being on it? It's not that easy. You can imagine them trying to balance it well so their friend doesn't fall off. They're walking down the dusty Jerusalem roads, and they're getting tired. Maybe they're walking for miles and miles to try to get to Jesus, and it's logistically really, really hard. And here's a a point of application I want to make under this uh, obstacle of logistically difficult that these guys had to overcome. 
Being or experiencing community isn't easy. It's just not. It's way easier to not have community than it is to have community. Being lazy is easier. Being uh, comfortable is easier than being authentic. Staying at home is easier than going and meeting someone or a group of people to share your life. Being or experiencing community isn't easy. And it is forged. Like you make community happen. It doesn't just magically appear if you just sit and wait for it to come to you. And it takes sacrifice. It takes time. So these friends had to overcome this logistical obstacle. Here's another obstacle they had to overcome. The obstacle of reward. What would these friends get in return for bringing their friend on this journey to Jesus? What, what could he give them? Nothing really. Because he was paralyzed, he probably was, had no family and he was ostracized in society. He probably didn't even have a job, so he couldn't give them money. He couldn't repay them in any way. And these guys, his friends, had to overcome that obstacle of, you know what? No matter what I do or how much time I put into this, there is nothing that I'm going to get in return. They just brought their friend to Jesus because they loved him with no strings attached. Another obstacle that they, they overcame or had to overcome is the obstacle of the unknown. Like there literally was no guarantees. This goes back to the, the faith displaying community aspect. Like did they know for a fact that Jesus would heal their friend? No. Would Jesus be annoyed that they had brought their friend down in the middle of his sermon? Like they had so many doubts and questions that they had to overcome to be able to bring their friend to Jesus. And so they had the obstacle of the unknown, and you do too, when it comes to uh, forming and experiencing community today. Here's a truth that I want to share with you, that no matter how great your community is, no matter how great the friends around you are, you will be disappointed by them at some point. You know why? Because they are broken human beings still. That they're imperfect still. Even if they're followers of Jesus, walking the road of obedience to Christ together, they're still going to mess up. They're still going to disappoint you. They're still going to say the wrong thing. They're still going to not know what to say. They're still going to um, not care for you as, as in the best way that you would like to be cared for. And so I want to remind you that community isn't your savior. Jesus is. As much as I want you to experience true and meaningful uh, community, it isn't your savior and you will be disappointed. And so it's important to have those expectations of the unknown as you walk into community. But these friends overcame all of these obstacles so that their paralyzed friend could meet Jesus. So here's another question for you to consider. What obstacle might be holding you back from experiencing true community. What obstacle right now, as you, you think about it in your own life, what obstacle might be holding you back from experiencing true community? Is it a fear of rejection? That if you went to your friends in your small group or other followers of Jesus that are your peers and said, hey, 
Let's hold each other accountable. Let's truly walk with Jesus. Let's confess sin to one another. Let's share what's, what's going on in our lives or what we're learning in God's word. Are you afraid that they might say, nah, we don't want to do that? And because of that fear of rejection, you never take that step. Is it laziness? That's the obstacle to you experiencing community. Is it homework? That you're, you're, you're putting off homework, you're on Instagram, you're on whatever social media, and homework that should take you an hour takes you four hours because of all the breaks that you're taking in between, and you don't have time to experience community because uh, you're, you're spending seven hours working on homework. Maybe, maybe that's something to consider as an obstacle in your life. Maybe another obstacle is your desire to maintain a certain reputation amongst your friends or at your school. Maybe it's a fear of not knowing what to say or how to help someone who's struggling in the fight for their mind. There might be so many obstacles that might be keeping you from experiencing true community, but I hope that you see from the example of these four friends that no matter the obstacles that were in their way, they were committed to overcoming those obstacles so that their friend could meet with Jesus. You see, it's too important to have community in the fight for your mind to let obstacles stand in the way. It's too important. And so the characteristics we've looked at so far of a community that you need in the fight for your mind are faith displaying community and obstacle overcoming community. And lastly, the third characteristic of the community that you need in the fight for your mind is individual supporting community. Individual supporting community. And this is pretty simple. Just one verse. Mark chapter 2, verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And in that verse, what we clearly see is that these four friends were deeply concerned for their friend and wanted to see him helped. These friends met their paralyzed friend at his greatest point of need. They realized, listen, he can't walk. He wants to walk. We've heard of this miracle working Jesus that's preaching the, 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 that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's bring our friend to Jesus. Maybe he can heal him. And so they met their friend at his greatest point of need. And to that point, what I want to share with you is your community the friends around you can only help you if they know how to help. Your friends, your community can only help you if they know how to help. Obviously, in this story, his friends knew how to help. He, didn't, he couldn't walk. He was disabled. And so the way for them to help was to bring him to Jesus in hopes of a miraculous healing of his body. And for some of you, it's not that obvious for some of you, the way or the means that you need help is internal, like we've been talking about. It's your, it's your stress, it's your anxiety, it's your sadness, it's your disappointment, it's your discouragement, it's your suicidal thoughts, it's your fight for your mind. And your community can only help if they know that there's a fight going on. So a little bit earlier, I showed you a picture of my uh, community group, and uh, you can look at a picture like this and think, man, they, they have it all together. Like everything's going great in their lives. Uh, but in this last year, 
This community group has experienced uh, conflict in marriage, miscarriage, uh, challenges with family members, deaths in the family. I mean, I could go on and on, and specifically this week, um, uh, one of the couples in our community group, they got um, news a, a couple months ago that their, the son that they were pregnant with uh, has Down syndrome. Not only does he have Down syndrome, but he'll probably have to have heart surgery within several months of being born. So can you imagine the, 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 um, the terror, the horror, the fear that can come with hearing that news from a doctor? And this week, that couple sent out a, a note, shared a note with us with dozens of ways that we can be praying for them as a husband and wife, how we can be praying for this unborn baby, and how we can be praying for the doctors and the nurses and the entire process. They let us in. They shared with us their struggles, their challenges, the way that they were fighting the battle for their minds. They let us in to help us know how we can help them and how we can care for them. And so I share that with you because I want to ask you a question. Who knows about your anxiety? Who knows about your stresses? Who knows about your despair, your discouragement, your sadness, your overthinking, your suicidal thoughts? Who knows? Because if no one knows They won't be able to help. And I beg you, I plead with you to let someone in. And here's something else that we we learn from this story that is so applicable to life. In life, every one of us gets a turn on the mat. Every one of us. In some way, shape, or form, we experience hardship, struggle, difficulty, or even just a battle uh, for our mind, every single one of us gets a turn on the mat. If you've never experienced it, you will at some point. And every single one of us gets a turn at carrying the mat. And so the question that I want to pose to you is, are you ready? Are you ready for that moment when you need to be carried by community? Do you have those faithful friends, faith displaying, obstacle overcoming, individual supporting friends in your life? Do you have them? Or are you ready to be one of the four friends that are lifting up another friend that is struggling and going through some hardship in life? Are you ready? You see, the way you get ready is by spending time with the savior of the world every day. That's how you stay ready. That's how you stay ready for the the worst news that you could possibly get. That's how you stay ready in the battle for your mind, that you spend time knowing God, following God, loving God, and seeking to walk the road of obedience with other uh, followers of Jesus together every single day. And so in life, we all will get a turn on the mat. And we all may get a turn to be able to carry a mat as well. So you should be ready. As we close, I want to read Mark chapter 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, 
your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw whose faith, whose faith did Jesus respond to? Whose faith was Jesus responding to when he saw this paralytic man being lowered down in the middle of uh, his sermon? He was responding to the faith of the friends. Guys, Jesus isn't only looking for you to have faith. He is rewarding the faith of your friends. Jesus rewards the faith of your friends. That's exactly what happened in this story. His friends knew that the only way he could actually experience healing was to be brought to the feet of Jesus. And so they bring their friend to the feet of Jesus and Jesus looks at their faith. He sees their faith on display. They went through all of this trouble to bring their friend to Jesus. So the question for you to consider is, can Jesus see the faith of your friends? When you think about the people in your life that are your friends, can Jesus see their faith? One last thing. Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Was Jesus doing what these guys intended to be done? No. Bro, they had walked along miles and miles of dusty roads carrying their friend on a mat because they wanted him to be able to walk. And when he finally gets an audience with Jesus, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine those guys in that moment? Maybe internally they're like, bro, cool, cool, cool with the forgiving of sins. But can you heal him though? Can you help him walk? You can imagine them thinking that. But here's the truth. Jesus addressed this paralyzed man, this man's most significant problem. The greatest problem is in his life wasn't that he couldn't walk, but it was that his sins were not forgiven. Your greatest problem in your life isn't your struggle, your challenge, the difficulty you've experienced, the divorce in your family, the loss that you've experienced, the struggle that you might have for your mind. That is not your greatest problem. Friends, every single one of us, our greatest problem is that our sins need forgiving. That's why Jesus came. And that's why he lived the perfect life and hung on the cross, bearing the weight of every sin that every one of us has or will ever commit so that we can get his righteousness and be reconciled with God. The most important need you have in your life right now is to be forgiven of your sins. And that's why Jesus came. One commentator puts it like this. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. The greatest miracle. It meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. Your greatest need and mine is to be forgiven. So maybe there's someone in this room who has never truly understood their brokenness, and their need for a Savior. And I pray that God's Holy Spirit is is drawing you to him right now. 
I pray that he prompts you to talk to one of your small group leaders or talk to your parents when you get home tonight and share with them that you uh, want a relationship with Jesus and you want to be shown how. But amazingly, in the story, not only does Jesus meet his greatest need and forgive his sins, but the man that got into the house through the roof on a mat, paralyzed, walked out of that house with just a word. That's the power of Jesus, the savior of the world. That whatever your physical ailment might be, whatever the struggle that you might be going through, Jesus has the power to heal. Jesus has the power to restore. Jesus has the power to transform. He might not answer or fix the problem in the way that you want it to be fixed on this side of heaven. But if you place your faith and trust in him, I promise you there is coming a day that that whatever the pain and sickness and struggle and fight for your mind that you might be experiencing that it will be no more and that everything that is sad will become untrue because of the gospel but praise God we have this example in this story of Jesus miraculously healing this man to remind us 2,024 years later almost of the power that he has to heal he could have healed then and he can heal in your life today. And so in summary, the fight for your mind is one in faith displaying, obstacle overcoming, individual supporting community. So bring your friends to the fight. If this is true, that community brings strength and stability and security Why wouldn't you pursue it with everything you've got? So whether you're isolated, whether you wish you had community or think you have community, I hope you have a a clearer picture of what community looks like and what community means and that you'd walk out of here encouraged and inspired to walk through the fight for your mind with faith displaying, obstacle overcoming, um, individual supporting community. Let Let me pray that you Thanks for joining us on this bonus episode of the Watermark Students podcast. For more information on Watermark Students, check out watermark.org slash students. We love you guys. We hope you share this with a friend and we'll see you guys next time.